thanks very much for joining me again. Um, one of my one of my few repeat guests. Um, how how's things been lately? You you just put out the book. I I finished it there last week. Very good read. I I'd recommend it to anyone. Thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, we're having the usual problem that you have with books like mine. Um, they're hiding it. W. H. Smiths aren't stocking it. Um. You know, so we're we're just trying to figure out now a way to try and kind of raise awareness. I mean, one of the other things that's happened is everyone who speaks to me about it, they they ignore the the seventy percent of the book that's about comedy writing, and uh, they talk about the last thirty percent, which is which is what's been happening over the last five years. You know, so um, so that's a little bit. I don't think people realize that it's you know it's got it's like the only book that's that covers how father ted was made and cast and you know the influences behind it and all that sort of stuff and the things we learned doing it um so i'm hoping that that awareness grows a little bit more over the next few weeks you know um yeah we we, we spoke we spoke before obviously um if if anyone wants to to go back and see that we we, we talked in depth about like the various kind of controversy surrounding opinions of yours which which aren't even terribly con- controversial so look if, if anyone wants to go into that they, they can look at that one i i wanted this one to, to be more about the about the book itself it, it, it must be annoying to be kind of defined constantly by um i i wouldn't even i wouldn't even say like, i wouldn't even say like your lowest point because 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 none of it's bad but like you know to no, be, i know what you're saying by the fighting on twitter and the kind of bickering back and forth with insane activists and shit well, you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, especially when, like, there's never much empathy for what you've been through, uh, you know, and like five or six years of begging my friends to say something about it or begging journalists to cover it properly or politicians to 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 kind of get an understanding of it. That's that's, uh, you know, deeper than this surface level uh way they deal with it they've dealt with it so far it, it's just exhausting you know you just can't really get them to like you can't get them to understand that had they all done their jobs a little bit better then i wouldn't be on online raging at you know at the the state of the the situation you know yeah um i i, I mentioned there in our last one but like literally if like okay, there's going to be people, people like you, who who are very much okay taking stand to be very outspoken and be be kind of um what's the word? Not confrontation, but but okay with confrontation online. It, it literally, if if God, if like probably one fifth or two fifth of people maybe would just kind of say, yeah, listen, what he's saying is not insane. Just relax. Yeah. It, yeah. it literally, if it, it it would just take that, and then and then the the power of these people who. Um, who do go after you would be would be reduced so significantly. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. I I you know, and I unfortunately I made a, a kind of bad bet that my the people I was closest to would be would would see that and and you know and and help out. Uh, so far, the only people who've shown that kind of um, compassion and integrity is uh, Jonathan Ross and Richard Iowetti, who gave me quotes for the cover of the book. You know. Um, of all my friends, they're the only two that that have made a public statement saying, you know, indicating like they neither of them really spoke much about the issue, but they both indicated that I haven't said anything wrong because, of, you know, I haven't said anything wrong. Um, so it's uh, 
Yeah, it's but it's still you know it's 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 I don't think I would ask anything else of Richard because if he tempts fate, then they will try and destroy him. You know, he's probably already had a few emails to Channel Four, about you know about his various travel and shows and stuff like this. But uh, I don't know. I I think he 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 obviously put a lot of thought into it, and I'm hoping he kind of what what I would call battened down the hatches. You know. You've got to contact everyone you work with and say, look, you might get be getting emails saying I'm this or that, uh, you know. And uh, as you say, you don't have to take them seriously. I always say my th- my big thing is that spell check is leading to the end of the world because lunatics uh, look like reasonable people because they've run it through a spell check, you know. Uh, in the old days, there used to be a, what we call the Green Ink Brigade. And they would write into TV uh, TV programs to complain. And they'd use green ink because they their thinking was uh, this will stand out. They won't ignore this one written in green ink. And uh, like basically, all it meant was that you immediately threw it in the bin because it was it was from someone crazy, you know. But spell check has normalized a lot of people uh, whose opinions should not be taken seriously. You know, very very kind of. Um, often deranged people who, you know, who are attracted to this fight, uh, to this debate, because of the opportunities it gives to be sadistic and cruel to people, you know. So, um, you know, it's just been six years trying to trying to say, look, can you help out to to people who, who, sh- who are in a position to help? Um, you know, well, we've been beaten up in an alley by these lunatics, you know. <laughs> I'm actually on the we'll we'll get into the book and father Ted and everything, but um on the on the subject of of like your Twitter use, I, I've always wondered like do you um the the kind of interact I I'm sure you've loads of positive interactions. The, the one I see the ones I see tend to be you retweeting like some some lunatic who's who's arguing with you or ma- making a dishonest point or whatever. Do you given that like I, I I'd imagine it's quite stressful and uh just you know by by no means like like a relaxing use of 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 social media do do you ever um do you like limit yourself do you uh do you say okay now like like uh, i i've like an hour a day um or or is it like if 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 you're getting caught up in a particular back and forth or storm are you spending all that day on on twitter or what like no i mean the way i just see my twitter account now is uh, uh basically just a kind of a a node uh for sharing uh information related to this issue you know it's like it comes in all the time you know just just one story after another um each of them in one different part of the scandal you know the the medical scandal something will come in in the morning the sports scandal something will come in in the afternoon um you know it's just constant because uh you know, this is an extraordinary historical moment, you know, where where a kind of a series of uh, incoherent and contradictory beliefs have somehow managed to take over polite society, you know. Uh, like, nearly every middle-class institution has been captured by it, you know. And there's even places that you would never expect to be captured by it, like, like, like health, the health service, the NHS over here. Um, I met a nurse last night who told me that she went to a um, presentation where she was told that there were more than two sexes, you know, like this is to a bunch of medical people who all have to nod along. And if they don't nod along, they might lose their jobs, you know. 
So it's just an extraordinary historical moment, I think. I think it's up there with, uh, you know... Which is... Sorry? Like witch burning and stuff. People believe in when we're witch. Definitely witch burning. Definitely McCarthyism. Uh, There's like hints of the cultural revolution in there. There's hints of, um, uh, you know, medical scandals like lobotomy. Um, There's just, it's like a perfect storm of crazy ideas just kind of um, hit. And because the human race has not been kind of, it's only been a few years, really. Like when you think that the iPhone was was released in 2007, we haven't been living with this technology all that long. But we feel like we have because we because a lot of people have grown up with it. But we we've never had the discussion about what this technology and the speed, the acceleration of novelty is doing to us, you know. And so, like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I've just like now we have AI coming in. And that's going to confuse the issue even, even, even more. It's still, it's already almost impossible to believe anything you see coming out of um, uh, a major conflagration like Gaza. You know, you just do not know what to believe. Um, and it's because you know the people who are saying uh, either I don't know a hospital was hit or something like that. The same people who are saying these things are also people using female pronouns for. Uh, male sex offenders or for Eddie Izzard or they're pretending that Ellen Page has turned into this boy called Elliot Page and it's like these are crazy things and when people see them if you if you if you have a grip on reality and if you value uh, you know being grounded in some form of reality it's kind of deranging you know and so I think that you're going to see this lot, a lot more is just a collapse of trust in people who we really need to be able to trust, you know? You you actually tweeted something there today. Um, there was a, an amateur boxing tournament in Canada um, and uh, a lady, I, I, I commend her for doing it. She, she refused to take part against a biological man. Only found out it was a biological man like an hour before the bout. Hands were probably <laughs> wrapped like... Um, yeah. Good for her for not doing for not feeling like oh if if I don't I'm going to be a transphobe I'm going to be whatever but but it's, funny like the boxing one is actually it's almost like the hypothetical that people use when you're talking about sport because if it's running if you and me are running to the same place we're not making contact or not you, you know but sure thing like we, we, that's like almost like the logical end of it like w- would you allow would you allow yeah. a biological male to to kick the shit out of a out of a female like yeah and like you know that obviously that match didn't happen because she forfeited but other ones have you know world wrestling uh not world wrestling what do you call it mma um oh, yeah. yeah and uh you know one woman had her orbital bone broken by uh, a, a a bloke um a bloke who then went on to to kind of chuckle about it on twitter you know and the people who watched it on tv the people who saw it play out on tv saw a man beating up a woman you know and it's um uh, yeah, I mean, but like the thing, the interesting thing is people were talking, I was talking to to someone today about the um, the snooker thing. And and sometimes people, they think that the the differences aren't as pronounced or, or, or key. Like, but I always think when it comes to something like that, it's like, why do you think there was ever a women's competition in the first place? You know what I mean? And, and it, it just, it's like, 
there's obviously an advantage there's obviously advantages to uh for men who are playing snooker or whatever it happens to be i saw another person saying golf what's the difference with golf well you know the women tee off from much nearer to the men because they they don't have the same kind of strength for the for the drive you know so um so it's just this kind of i don't know suddenly fashionable idea that there's literally no difference between the sexes you know and that sounds great, and it and and I think these people have convinced themselves that it's going to mean an end to sexism, but all it does is it it makes sexism a hundred times worse. You know, that's two competitions now: the snooker competition and the boxing competition, where a bloke has won a cash prize meant for women because the woman has just kind of walked away. And over you know a couple of weeks ago, I met this uh, woman whose daughter was a silver medalist in jujitsu, and she had to quit the sport. Because the, because of the men entering it, you know, it's uh, I don't know. I, I I still find it extraordinary. I'm saying this to News Talk. I, I I still find it extraordinary that I'm getting any pushback on this. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like so clearly wrong to to cheat at women's sports, and yet you can't get people to actually back you up and say, yeah, actually, you know, it's not not really fair, is it? You know. And I always just think, don't you have any daughter? Don't you have your? Aren't you worried about your daughter or your wife or your mom? Don't you care about them? You know. Anyway. Um. Yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll, we'll get into a, a good good chunk of the book was um was on was on Father Ted. Um. I I asked you about it last time, but I couldn't. Now, now that I've now that I've so much extra material on it, I I I have to I have to go into into it with you again. Um, sure. What was the quote from the book you said? Ted uh, was an Irish sitcom made within the the British tradition. You you you, you might explain that a little bit first. Yeah, well, you know, we 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 used to. There was a rumor going around that we we made Ted, or we were uh, turned down, or sorry, RTE turned us down. That was the rumor that was going around. And uh, Arthur at the time said, "Why would we? Why why would RTE? Why would we do it with RTE? That would be like doing it with water water for glass." is what he said, which I always thought was very funny. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was basically that RTE, they'd made a sitcom, leave it to Mrs. O'Brien, but it wasn't particularly fondly remembered, and um, it didn't have the, uh, you might say, I guess the confidence of something like The Young Ones or Faulty Towers, which came from just this rich uh, TV tradition. You know, I mean, really, the only TV tradition we had in Ireland up until that point was 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 all centered around Gay Burr. You know, is 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 like the Late Late Show was a kind of a appointment television, and, and all the expertise seemed to be seemed to be focused in on that show. You know, um, nothing else was really any good. It's changed a lot since. There's lots of great stuff now, but in the old days, it just wasn't even on our radar to do it for RTE. So, yeah, we wanted to use UK know-how uh, to to make something that Irish people could enjoy, you know? Um, there was um, th th there was a bit in there, you, you said in writing it, you were very careful to avoid uh, like paddy whackery or being Irish all before. I, I found that I found that quite funny. Can, can, can you tell people about it? Well, it's a subtle thing because people watching Father Ted would, would be like, what what did they avoid? <laughs> you know, but it was just a slight, it was a feel, is the best way I can describe it. You know, like there were things like we I I would go in and see that they'd 
there was a police station in one episode, you know, and it's all it was all wood and it looked like oh it was in a western, you know, and and it, this was this was all the the art department you going by their research photos, but that it would embarrass us because we we didn't associate Ireland with. Uh, with you know the country as such, we associated it with Dublin because that's where we grew up, you know. So we we'd always be like, yeah, just get some laptops in there and stuff, you know, and just put a bit, just make it not look like it's been shot in nineteen ten, you know. Um, and so we were we were constantly working to do that and driving the art department absolutely insane uh, in the process. But also, you know, there was not just the look of it, but also the references were very, um, they weren't specific to Ireland. We were always chucking in pop culture references and stuff like this, because that was the stuff that me and my friends had grown up with. We lived in a part of Ireland that had, um, was having British stuff broadcast to us by one, on one side and an American stuff broadcast by the other. Uh, you know, and me and Arthur worked for a music magazine where the conversation was always about like, like the you know topical personalities of the day you know which is why someone like Sinead O'Connor ended up in there you know in, a, in an episode which she loved apparently and came back and uh used to sit in the front row uh later on and the, on the, I think it was on the Christmas episode she and her son were in there um so uh but so yeah so there was a kind of a feeling of um we'll use some of the cliches about Ireland to have a play with them you know to have a pop at them sometimes um and you know so we would have like like obviously for jack was a complete alcoholic but we'd give him we'd make him drink toilet duck and stuff like that like his alcoholism was going into a different dimension uh <laughs> and the same with dougal's stupidity which was like not a normal kind of stupidity it was a kind of a I guess a lot of people have called him a holy fool, which is which seems which seems accurate. Um, but we we wanted to get the kind of, like for that we were we just loved stupid characters in sitcoms and wanted to create our own because it just seemed like a stupid character uh, could say dozens hundreds of funny things. You know, like you get a stupid person into a conversation uh, about the weather and it goes on for another. You know four exchanges that it really shouldn't go on for you know um and then Dermot was there to kind of uh to kind of represent uh I guess you might say the authorial authorial voice like the like he was our he was our normal ordinary guy commenting on things that were going on you know um he was our like uh you know slightly imperfect um uh very ambitious uh in the world in the place where you cannot be ambitious because there's no there's no means to getting on in life on craggy island so yeah it just all kind of um it was ireland but it was also a kind of a uh i guess in the same way that the young ones took the figure of the right on student the hippie and the punk and just turn them all up to 20, you know, so that they were all on completely everything Neil in the young one says is hippie-ish and down. And, oh, you know, everything Rick says is designed to draw attention to himself. And every and Vivian is just pure chaos, you know. No one really knew what Mike was doing, but 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 anyway. But like um uh it it 
it just felt we were in a similar kind of um, uh, zone. Um, and again, to bring us back to the original point, British sitcoms had given us kind of a model, you know. <clears throat> you might tell us a bit about your own influences um, in terms of sitcoms. I was actually fairly surprised that um, that Seinfeld got, got a got a good few nods in the book. I I actually I would have just assumed out of hand that people in in Ireland and uh, the UK wouldn't have seen Seinfeld un, unless it was like now like binging it on Netflix or something. Did, how, how did you? Uh, where did you even see it? And uh, what, what did you think of it? There was a, just a long period where the BBC was putting it on at 11 o'clock at night, uh, followed by Larry Sanders. So it was like an hour of the, be the best comedy, of, you know, certainly live action. Uh, at the time, The Simpsons was, was, was in really rude health as well. So I used to call them the three S's, Seinfeld, Sanders and Simpsons. And they were just like, you know, like uh, the Simpsons was just reinventing comedy, you know. The, the when it was at its best, it was just extraordinary. Um, and Seinfeld was more like a like a a, a Frasier or something. It had a kind of a classic, uh, no coward feel. There was something very elegant about the way it would uh, talk around uh, quite controversial subjects, you know. It did so in a very art artful way that reminded me of the way, you know. Noel Coward would write about sex without without letting you know he's writing about sex. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then, you know, Larry Sanders uh, was just this kind of pitch-perfect uh, satire of the uh, American talk show, like Letterman. And, yeah, we just... We, I would lie down on the floor, and I had one video that was just Seinfeld episodes, and, and I would record Seinfeld on it, and then I would eject it and put in the Larry Sanders episode, all of them lined up at the exact right place and then do the next one, you know, fucking hours I spent doing that, you know, and uh, of course I have no idea where those videos are now, but yeah, they, 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 they gave us, they, for me, they were like a North star in terms of, in, in terms of sophistication, uh, silliness, you know, stupidity sometimes like stupid things being funny. Uh, and, um, and also a kind of, a you know, um, uh, a, a willingness to grab certain, uh, issues, uh, you know, with both hands, you know, Larry Sanders was very good on race relations and tensions and, and homophobia and, and all these things. It, it would really confront some of these subjects head on and it was always very satisfying, uh, yeah, so yeah, they I, I love them. They they Seinfeld more than anything else probably though taught me how to structure, you know. It kind of uh made me uh it made me realize that, you know, you set up two, three plot lines, try and pull them together at the end, and try and suggest some reason at the start why they're why they're coexisting in the same story, you know. Uh, and if you can do all of that to a satisfying degree, then it will feel like a story, you know? So, uh, yeah, yeah. Best, best teachers. Larry, I think Larry David is the best sitcom teacher, you know, just have to study what he does and, and figure out how he gets to certain points. 
And and if you can take one of his episodes and reverse engineer it, oh yeah, that was setting up that. The reason this happened is because later on this happens. If you can kind of break that down, then you can apply it to your own work and rebuild it. You know, you can have, for instance, funny image like this happened on IT Crowd. I had just a single image of someone shouting down from one of those window cleaner boxes. I'm not a window cleaner. Like, it just seems like evidence that you're a window cleaner if you're in one of those window cleaner boxes that are on the side of buildings. And I had an image of someone shouting down, I'm not a window cleaner to someone. The guy go, well, I'm not a window cleaner. (laughs) And so when I had that idea, I kind of thought, well, now I need to find some way of of getting getting Roy into that situation. And uh, then I remember they worked in computers and, and he could say, I work in Windows or I work with Windows. And the guy, other guy, and he just becomes convinced that the guy thinks he's a window cleaner. You know, it was funny that when that episode came out, it was one of my first tastes of what what suddenly facing the audience meant. Because someone on Twitter wrote to me and said, "I'm a window cleaner." <laughs> like, well, no, I'm not getting the window cleaners. I'm just I'm just saying that Roy, being you know a computer nerd, would look down on that job because they're sometimes very snobbish about that type of thing. So, yeah, but yeah, suddenly everyone's complaining about jokes in which they feel they're represented, <laughs> you know. Um, on the note, uh, on that note of Seinfeld, um, if if like an alien was to come down who hadn't experienced American humor or Irish kind of UK humor, which which, which is very similar, c- c- kind of more more dry and deadpan, I, I, I'd, I'd say it's like, there's like a lot of overlap between Irish and UK. Um, how would Ooh. you... How would you characterize the differences between the two, um, uh, between like American type humor and um, Irish UK, if if you could? It, it, it might be difficult to do. Well, you know, I think uh, I think one thing that 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 makes a huge difference are basically the production values. You know, like uh, you you see a set like the set in Frasier, which is a work of art. Um, I don't think it's even entirely possible in the UK. I don't think the stages are big enough. But if you look at those, both Seinfeld, I think Cheers, and definitely Frasier, they're all um, diagonal. They're like triangles. You know, there's like a, it widens out and goes to a point, and you can hide things at the point and pretend there's deeper rooms to the left and the right, and and it just create they create a a space that I think suggests real sophistication. So like uh, Frazier then like became, uh, you know, this kind of um, almost weekly uh, equivalent of old Cary Grant movies. The whole thing was so polished, you know? And I always associated that with American sitcoms, polish. Like the set for the set on Cheers was so amazing that they actually, even though they didn't have to do this, they gave the set designer part of the royalties, you know, so because it was so extraordinary. So that's kind of what, for years, that's what I associated with America. It was just a very, very well done, uh, extremely well acted, because they got the creme, creme de, de la creme uh, sitcoms with uh, extremely... Um, uh engineered plot lines you know but then 
Seinfeld came along and it just had a different feel. The, the plot lines did not occur in the same way that they did in previous uh, sitcoms. The, you know, the plot lines would come about through things like sheer chance or, or George being so desperate, so annoyed at someone that he just wants to win something for the sake of winning it. Um, it was suddenly a different feel. And then it changed again when it went to single camera, because what happened with single camera and shows like The Office and uh, especially uh, Tina Fey's stuff is that uh, Third Rock from the Sun and stuff like that. No, not sorry. That's not what it's called. Third. No, what's it called? 30, 30 Rock. 30 Rock. Yeah. Sorry. Third Rock is a totally different. Um, but 30 Rock then went single camera. And it seemed to me that what they did with single camera was they went more in the British tradition which see, which I always thought was more surreal, you know. So suddenly, suddenly sitcoms were getting sillier and and kind of wackier, and more British, inverted commas. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, like you know, it was funny because like towards the end of my career, I I really wanted to go to America and make one of those sophisticated sitcoms and say to them, look, don't give up on them. They're great. They'll still make. You know, I, I do think there's a bit of magic dust that a live studio audience gives a show, you know, but it was just in the end, the fashion just, you know, it, people don't don't people don't raise them. People, the whole the argument is I don't need to be told when to laugh, you know, which is a little, I think, a little bit overprotective. And, and do you know what I mean? It's like it's not really what it's about. It's to try and get a certain kind of performance out of the performers, you know, where a, a beautiful joke is met by uh, just this howl of delight. And you can see the actors waiting for it to die down before they say the next line. I love all that, you know. Um, I, I read that uh, I read that you turned down a deal to have Father Ted on Fox News because of Rupert Murdoch. That, that was yeah. a huge chunk of change, was it? Yeah, yeah, that would have been big. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, Ted, it was IT Crowd. And uh, yeah, they just they just sold it to Fox, a version that I didn't like and didn't approve of. And suddenly I heard Fox had it. And at the time, I was really being hard on Fox. And I thought, this is uh, this would be hypocritical if I take this deal. So uh, I did. I yeah, I, I now could not care less. You know, uh, <laughs> it would be nice to get that deal back. But at the time, I was basically. I was a big man for principle, artistic principle and political principle and so on, you know. I guess I, I, I still am, which is why I'm in the predicament I'm in at the moment, you know. Um, on the on the American versus kind of Irish-UK humour, in terms of the actual humour itself, um, uh, how, how, would you, how would you say it's different? For, for me, I think if I had to, to kind of summarise it, it probably comes down to like subtlety, dryness. In America, I've found their shows, even the most subtle, American uh, TV show, which, which in my opinion is probably probably the the Office, their version of it. Even their most subtle one is way more loud and obvious than like any Irish or British one. Like it's almost like there's a flashing neon sign that says "This is the joke." Because right, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I I find that much more offensive than I do studio laughter. You know, if I hear an audience laughing at a joke, I prefer that to. Uh, you know, a banjo making a plinky plunk uh, sound to tell you that you should be laughing, you know? So, yeah. I, I, but I think also there's, I think the difference also is a little bit in who the Irish are. I feel like the Irish are a bunch of uh, 
and I mean this in the nicest possible way, uh, begrudgers, you know? It, it's like, you know, you can't get too big for your boots. And, like, you know, I remember Arthur was telling me once that he saw a bloke just as 9-11 happened, you know, like moments afterwards. And there was a picture of uh, Bin Laden on the on the TV screen. And this regular in the pub said, there he is, the man of the moment. You know, it seemed a little bit, you know, under underplaying it slightly. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's that kind of uh, the world passing by and Irish people just feeling uh, superior to everything. <laughs> and I like that. I like that. It's like a revenge of the little guy, you know. Whereas in America, it seems to be like like often about people who are in very powerful positions. It seems to me, you know. Although Cheers isn't like that in Taxi. No, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But there's a kind of um, it's not about the little guy in the same way that uh, Irish and British comedy is, I think, you know. that's There's always been a sense of failure around a lot of sitcoms. I think I think amongst them um, kind of British and Irish humour, it's a lot more, um, it's a lot more like self-deprecating and kind of humble. In, in, in America, like, they, they're like the biggest braggarts ever. And like, half the time when people tell a joke here, it's, it's so that they can, they can talk about like their money or their fucking something about themselves, you know. It it it's not it's really really self deprecating, and and to be honest, when it is, it's usually done in like a really obvious kind of uh, almost almost kind of manipulative way. Someone someone being self deprecating because they know that it's bad to be a braggart. Well, I I uh, I can't tell you how much I hate that kind of uh, uh, you know snappy superhero movie dialogue. That really does drive me up the walls, you know. Every it's just every joke is about being self-deprecating, and you know it's so dreary for me. I, I don't enjoy it at all. I, I think I saw my last superhero movie about ten years ago. Um, so yeah, I like. Uh, it's always nice to hear what I call the rough crackle of authenticity in things, you know, wherever it's from. You know, and I, yeah, I think it's a shame the Conor person isn't making uh, more uh, movies and stuff. I'd like to see more from him. His dialogue always blew me away, you know. Um, and I love the weir. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I'd like to see more by him. He hasn't done anything recently, has he, Conor McPherson? He's so good. You know him from the, you did the weir, Dublin, Dublin playwright. I, I wouldn't actually, to be honest, nah. He's so good, you know, he's, he's, uh, He's very funny, um, and he his approach to dialogue is sort of similar to, I guess, someone like Mamet, you know, but it, with an with the Irish kind of twist on it, which is uh, really nice. Yeah, his it, the weir is always worth seeing. It's a brilliant uh, uh, play set in a pub where the the people there tell each tell a short a ghost story, and the ghost stories get progressively more frightening. You know, it's very very good, very good. Anyway, sorry, I don't know why I went on to that. No, you're grand, you're grand. Um, I was going to... Oh, yeah, sorry. One, one thing that really surprised me is that originally Ted was planned to be um like like a mockumentary type where, like, they're yeah. filming a documentary and the characters are, like, aware that they're on camera. Yes. Um, much like... W- would it have been... Would it have been filmed like the, the UK office? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it would have looked like. And, you know, it was like... It, we probably were going in that direction because everybody else was suddenly going in that direction. Like, like the Spinal Tap was still fresh in our minds, you know, and we all, everybody worshipped Spinal Tap, you know, for, just for its authenticity and the quality of its jokes, you know. Um, 
And then I guess, you know, like it just, we were tricked. We thought, oh, that looks easy. You stick a camera on your shoulder and you walk around filming someone. But it's not really that easy. And uh, also, if we had done it like a series of documentaries with a different character every week, Ted was only one of six characters there would have been. um, We were told people won't have time to fall in love with the characters. So you need to, so they said, and they surprised us by saying, um, go away, turn it into a sitcom, bring it back. And that's what we did. We we just took all the scenes in the in the um in the one-off and and you know we took the housekeeper, we took the uh the the priest who was dead, that became Father Jack. Um and uh yeah, it 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 just suddenly we suddenly realized, oh my god, we do have a sitcom here, you know. It's funny now, it, it actually would have, I, I can imagine it working very well as like the office type because there's there's an extra layer of uh, of humor that gets added when the character is aware that they're on camera and they're like very keen to like give the best version of themselves. David Brent, David Brent is constantly doing, he's constantly like like looking at the camera and saying something virtue signaling. It, it, it adds like this extra layer, it's hilarious. It's a fantastic observation the way they... They, the way they dealt with the camera in that show, it was it was something even Spinal Tap didn't do. Spinal Tap, they're they're not really aware of the camera at all in Spinal Tap, but uh, but someone like uh, Brent, who's so desperate to be famous, of course he's going to be aware of the camera. He's never going to be able to forget it. And uh, yeah, I thought that was a brilliant innovation, actually, brilliant innovation. Yeah, I assume. Have, have you seen the the American one too? Could, could, could you compare the two and and, and maybe tell us? I watched a few. I watched a few episodes. Uh, I know it, it gets better. People tell me it's very good, and it became its own thing, which is good. Um, but I don't know. It's a weird thing. I really do love that first series of The Office, you know. And I find it strange when I see people playing those same parts. I'm just like, something's wrong here, you know. But like, uh, so I haven't dug into it as much as I should have, but but I know it kind of became its own thing and became very good. Everybody tells me it got better and better, um, but uh, but I I do love the sourness of the office, and I love his he, he they they did something that when you get it right, I think it's the great one of the greatest things you can do, which is. Um, they they can they can say something that's so offensive, but they do it through his character, uh, and it just blows you away. It's like I remember once they're they're trying he's <laughs> trying to do role playing for a uh, for a, a set in a hotel. He's trying to get the guy's attention, and finally he can't get it, and he goes, uh, "Someone's been raped." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which just completely destroys the exercise, and um, uh, you know it's so stupid and and attention seeking and inappropriate, and you know it's like very potentially offensive. As uh, you know, we're we're you're told never tell a rape joke, but it's a very good example of how you can take something like that and and turn it into, uh, you know, comedy that bizarrely everyone can enjoy. You know, it, it's funny now. I don't know. I don't know that I've met an American over here who who actually liked the the UK, the, like the UK office. L- loads of people from Ireland and and the UK like the American one, but but they don't seem to. I I think it kind of, I think it's maybe like a bit too dry, a bit too deadpan. It c- c- kind of goes over a lot of their heads. Have right. Possible people like or. 
Sorry? Have you ever, like, come across that or discussed this? No, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I always just kind of went for my own taste. I know that, like, I, I'm always surprised when people say they like the American one better. That always blows me away because I just think that the first British one is uh, is unparalleled. You know, it's up there with, with some of the greats, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't really pay much attention to what other people like and don't like. I'm just I'm just kind of going by my own nose most of the time. Um, sticking on uh, sticking on comedy, you you gave um, you gave stand up uh, a go there lately. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a, you 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 almost uh, didn't get the chance actually. Yeah, was, uh... yeah. Well, you know, it's just like the Edinburgh Festival has just become a joke in terms of freedom of speech. You know, um, could not find a venue to play, and uh, finally I had to do it outside Holyrood, which was kind of you know. It was a good visual, but it wasn't very good. It didn't. It wasn't like uh, my funniest few minutes, you know. But because uh, it was so weird, there was cars going by and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but then um, I've been really enjoying it recently. Yesterday I went up and did five minutes, even though I said I wasn't going to do it. They they announced me by mistake, and I literally only had one joke ready to go. So uh, so it just kind of uh, so I went up thinking this is going to be a disaster. And it was one of the nicest times I've had on stage. You know, I just kind of really slowed down, took my time and um, did three routines in the end that 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 worked out pretty well. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of getting more comfortable on stage. I have a lot of goodwill. I mean, I've got this huge advantage in that I got a, I have a lot of goodwill. Uh, you know, the I, I have a joke about it, actually. I say, uh, uh, you know, I always get a better a better reaction coming onto the stage than I do leaving it. I said I'd be the best comedian in the world if it wasn't for my material, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm in such a weird position in terms of the way my life has gone that it's actually kind of like I can make fun of it. I can make jokes about it, you know. Um, and it gives me a kind of uh, vein of comedy that most people don't have. Because they're they're they haven't had such a weird journey as I have, you know. So uh, yeah, no, I'm really enjoying it. I want to do it again soon. Yeah. Who would be um? Who'd be like your favorite uh, stand-ups to watch? Chappelle. Uh, I love Chappelle. Uh, uh, I like uh, um, Shane Gillis at the moment is very good. I think Todd Barry. I think is brilliant. Um. Uh, Brian, uh, Brian, what's his name? Brian fucking uh, No, not McCallum. He's an American comedian. Brian, uh, he's a friend of Seinfeld. He's often on coffee, getting coffee with comedians. Uh, what's his bloody name? Brian, it's, I want to say Brian Keegan, but it's not Brian Keegan. Um, hold on a sec. Um, no, I, I couldn't tell you. Friend of Seinfeld. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, what's his name? No, it's not. Oh, here we go. Found him. It's uh, Brian Regan. Yeah, Brian Regan, who is oh, and Norm, good old Norm. I miss Norm. I'm so Norm sad. About yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, he was like going into this. I thought really nice new stage where I was expecting to see a special from him every couple of years, and it would always be just extremely high quality. He's so good. He was so good. And uh, yeah, then he uh, then he he um, checked out, you know, which is such a shame. But uh, 
but yeah, Norm, I sometimes take little, um, I, I, I sometimes take little turns of phrase that Norm would do. He, he would kind of use old timey words that, that like, uh, really, really jump out, especially when you're telling the story, you know, like I, I, I have a joke where I refer to myself as a, as an old geezer, you know, cause that's the kind of thing he would do, you know? And, uh, yeah, I really love him. I'd love to take one little bit of Norm on a little bit in my shitty com comedy, you know, comedy career, my shitty non-comedy career. <laughs> um, are you aware? Um, it's become okay. So before, okay, so there, there's the there's the kind of the stereotype of like the overly woke um, ally comedian who's kind of looking for clapdoor and every single joke is uh, is is about their ethnicity or about. Uh, or about yeah. their gender, or about their sexuality, or something. There's also there's that one that's really really annoying. And um, but there's there's now I think in more recent years there's almost like an opposite of that where there's like like your your dad's favorite comedian who's every single joke is like oh you can't say nothing no more I'm gonna go right. It's almost like equally annoying. You know what I mean? There's a yeah. Fella, not to not to slag anyone, but there's a fella called Nick DiPaolo, um, kind of kind of Italian American. He's very funny and all, but he's very much like that. It's like it's like way too far. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I don't like either approach because I think they're too tied to the present day. You know, like I I like jokes about uh about kind of uh, eternal things. You know what I mean? Things that won't date. You know, like even Ted, which I which I'm so proud of and I love and writing it was a joy. But like you know, I'm sure there's jokes in that now that people just look at and think, what the hell does that mean? You know, like broadband wasn't around when Ted was on. You know. And so, and so when when they're saying things like Nelson Mandela and his mad wife, you know that meant something very specific to us at the time. We all knew about Winnie Mandela, who was who was constantly in the news for one thing or another. Uh, but now it's it's almost like people would laugh because of Dougal's intonation, right, rather than the joke itself. Uh, so yeah, so I think in general it's a good idea to avoid things that pin you down to a certain era. There's a there was an interesting thing I found you know I, I I was talking about the other night I don't know like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, you know after saying I don't like that dialogue he kind of invented it but however he did do a very clever thing in Buffy which is they never used real slang they made up their own slang they made up teenage slang so that te so that teenage slang will never go out of date because it wasn't attached to an era you know. And so woke comedy and its flip side, uh, anti-woke comedy, is two sides of this, uh, uh, two sides of something that I don't really have much interest in. You know, I like looking beyond all that stuff, and you know, this is this is not you know this this activism. It's not something I want to do. You know, it's just something I kind of have to do. Um, and uh, the last thing I want to do is keep, keep doing it in a stand-up act. <laughs> you know. I like to leave it at home. I I think some of the very like the very pinnacle of of comedians they can do it, but without veering into that territory where they just become like the anti woke one. I'm thinking now, for example, uh, Ricky Gervais, who we spoke about as a writer, his, his stand up's very good too. Andrew Schultz is probably one of the most popular in the world, and he's the type now he'll say absolutely anything. And you know, same with Gervais. You know that when you complain, the answer would be "fuck off." I don't care what you think. And yeah, because, yeah, because they're so good and so funny, they get away with. Sorry, there's one quote 
in the book, he said, in other words, if you make people laugh, they'll forgive you for anything. And yeah, exactly. Those two. Yeah, that was the line in, Seinf in the Seinfeld course uh, where he said, laughter is a very strong spice. And if you can make people laugh, you know, they they won't even, they'll forget to be offended, you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah. Jesselnik is another good example. Anthony Jesselnik. Yeah, he's, his his act is uh, is just great joke. Great joke after great joke. But the nature of the jokes is almost the same as, as doing anti-woke comedy. You know what I mean? It's like he's 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 doing exactly what you just said. He's like, he's, he's, he's with his act. He's saying, I really don't give a fuck what you think. You know, I, I, I loads of people like it. You don't like it. Do something else. And Chappelle again is like that. Um, you know, they just kind of uh, they don't have to be explicitly anti woke to be to feel uh, like they are kind of uh, free speech guardians. You know what I mean? <laughs> although although Jesselnik was disappointing recently because he was like he's saying we've we've learned so much about transgender people. You know, he was talking about there's some woke has given us some good things. He said, we've learned so much about transgender people. Oh, have we? What have we learned? We've learned, oh, you know, it's, we've, what we've learned is that, like, you know, they're telling some women you, they need to cut off their breasts to be happy. And they're telling men they don't need to do anything except except put on put on some women's clothes. So it's like this big bogus thing that they can pay lip service to the same way corporations can pay lip service to it without any repercussions because it's such a it's such a nebulous thing they can just kind of bless themselves in front of it you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean and um, we, we're coming to, we're coming there to, to the end of our time i wanted to ask you one more thing in regards to um I guess more more stand up, but I, but I suppose comedy writing generally. There's obviously a huge um, uh, male female uh, ratio disparity among it. It's like I'd say it's probably ninety something percent men. In my, I was thinking about that. Like in my, in my experience, I don't think. I don't think that like in general men are funnier than women. In 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 everyday life, I've I've kind of found that I think men and women are generally even enough in terms of funny. But I think it's so much more a man thing to push to push and push a joke and work on it and work on it and edit it and, and take out the fat and make it work that that's so much more of a male thing to to pursue it to its end and plus the fact that like probably for almost all of human history one surefire way for a guy to to get a to get in favor with a woman is by being funny so because of that it's almost like a mating strategy that the men men have like uh, yeah done over time a any any insights there yourself as to why the the, the ratio difference oh god yeah that would get me re-cancelled if i if i really address it but like no i i i think i think yeah i think the it's not really seen as a way to attract men is to be a funny girl no one you know that's not like a uh uh, 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 but definitely men, you know, and a lot of the reason why men do anything is to meet women, you know, whereas, you know, from rock bands to touring as a comedian, you know, but, um, but, uh, and also, you know, our voices carry louder, all this sort of stuff. So I think there's probably, there's probably a lot more funny women than we think, you know what I mean? They just, they're just not, they, I wouldn't. Like I'm only going on stage because I have to, because <laughs> I can't do anything else, you know. 
but I do like it. I do like getting responses and stuff like this. But if I was, you know, if I was writing comedy, it wouldn't occur to me to go up on stage, you know. Um, uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm, you know, 55, so getting on. So it's a weird old age to start deciding to change career, you know. So I don't think I'm, I don't think I have any plans to. Um, really? Uh, yeah, because like, you know, dealing with drunks and stuff like that is not something I, I don't, I think I'd be very good at doing. But, you know, when people say the women aren't funny, I, the other night I was, um, oh, her name's gone out of my, her name's going to go out of my head now. She was, uh, she's an Irish comedian, uh, very turfy, um, unleashed, completely unleashed. Uh, I'll just try and remember her name very quickly by going to comedy unleashed. Oh, about her. Uh, what's her bloody name? Um, but she's great, you know, and she's kind of like, uh, uh, She's kind of like a, so brilliant at that. Mary Burke, that's her name. Um, she's kind of uh, uh, so polished and so brilliant, you know. And and every time she plays, she kills. She absolutely kills. So you know, it's it's, it's I don't know. I, don't, I, I it's weird. It's not a question I really entertain a lot. You know, it's not something I think about a lot. I don't I don't like grading people. You know what I mean? I'm, you're, this group is funnier than this group. I just know that, you know, whenever you meet any funny person, be they male or female, um, they it's a it's an absolute joy, you know. That they're 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 quite rare. So when you find one, gosh, it's a special thing. It, it is a shame when um when you do turn on like when you do turn on like a female comedian and it's just it's just like the Amy Schumer type where every joke is about her vagina or about being a woman, it's like fucking hell, come on. Like you're you're just feeding, you're just feeding that bloody stereotype. Like Yeah, but like I forgive it a little bit because I I think every I think the vast majority of comedians uh you know they're they're, they're all lazy. You know what I mean? It's like a, a very special person who's not lazy and who finds a more interesting approach to a joke, you know. I think you're absolutely right, but then you get someone who addresses all that stuff. And she's incredible, and that's like Michelle Wolf. I don't know if you've seen her specials recently, but I know I know she is, but I haven't seen. They are pretty amazing, you know. And she does that. She's done a th she does a thing like she's. I haven't seen anything from her in about. You know, she did a famous White House correspondence dinner, which was really controversial. Uh, I guess about five years ago, six years ago, um, and I hadn't heard anything from her since. And so what she's done is she's come back with a set that kind of shows you how you can laugh at certain things. Like she does Me Too uh, and reaches conclusions that you would be surprised at. Um, and she does it brilliantly. And you can tell, you can actually hear the audience relieved that they've been given a way of laughing at something that has been like, a, you know, an unlanced boil for a long time, you know. She's really good on on when it got things wrong. She's really good on the response to it. She's really good on on um, uh, uh, men's reaction to it. She even uses her own at one point in the most extraordinary moment where she says, um, she says, uh, she says, she's talking about something else. And she says, well, I didn't like that. She goes, I didn't like being raped either, you know? And then she says, um, I'm more of a social cues gal, you know? <laughs> yeah, extraordinary. To use something like that for a throwaway joke, 
that never gets mentioned again, you know, and that just kind of makes me think, wow, she's the real deal, you know, she's audacious, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, it's always nice to find these people and to share them. I always like, it's an inter here's another interesting case. What's that, what's that woman who I think suffers from schizophrenia who's a comedian? She's slightly, you know, uh, one might call this, um, what is it? Um, I don't know. I don't hear talking about it. Oh, she's like a small, slight woman with blonde hair. And she does really funny voices. She goes from different voices up and down the register. She does an impression of her mother. That's hilarious. And her sister, her sister who she portrays as a kind of a icy smoking. Uh, why is it? Anyway, yeah, unfortunately, I'm too. I'm tired. I can't remember bloody name. No, uh, but yeah, but I guess my point was that like she is famously uh, kind of got a slight uh, uh, mental she's got mental issues and i think that it was interesting what you were saying about the way men think about comedy she obviously is someone who kind of works incessantly at an idea and 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 looks at it from different angles and becomes a bit obsessed with it it feels like to me um uh uh so i just thought that was interesting because maybe maybe you're right maybe maybe it is more of a male thing and and she's unusual because um, because she's uh, you know she's got this kind of neurodiverse type of uh, approach to things. Uh, I've just got her thing. Uh, who is it? Uh, can't find her. Um, uh, I have to buy actually mental illness to find her. Maria Bamford. Maria Bamford. That's her name. She's really good. She's really good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that was a bit of a slow ending to the show. <laughs> and by um, like, yeah, I was going to say we we've come to the end of our time again. Thank you very much, um, for your time, thoughts, opinions, insight. Um, always, always welcome. Um, anyone, anyone who's made it this far, please do buy the book. Um, well worth. If if you're into, if if you're interested in Graham Lennon, Father Ted, even Father Ted alone, if that was your only only interest. It did mm -hmm. took me buying the book for that. Like, and, and oh, anything cheers, you there? sorry, anything you want to leave us with? No, nope, that's it. I just, yeah, please enjoy the book. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's all about, about this craziness. It's actually about comedy. <laughs> um, soundbite, thank you very much for joining me. Lovely to speak to you again. Cheers. <laughs>